March 23rd, and we are back on Zoom. That means that we are not in the same place anymore, which I am sad about, but I am excited to get back on our normal routine after an unbelievable week at the World Baseball Classic. I'm RM Layton. He's Peter Apple. This is the Just Baseball Show. Peter, we're going to talk about the National League East today. We're going to preview the National League East today, but we would be nuts to start anywhere other than the World Baseball Classic final, which I think was everything you could have possibly wanted out of a ball game between USA, between Japan and the ending. It's been well documented, but man, I I felt like I was dreaming. That was one of those moments where it was like, there's no way this is really happening, right? Yeah, no way this is really happening. Just shout out Team Japan became the second team in World Baseball Classic history to go undefeated and win the championship all the way through. The other team was the 2013 Dominican Republic team. We had the opportunity to go to all the quarterfinals, semifinals and the finals and What we were expecting, or at least what I was expecting, was maybe the greatest game we've ever seen. And that was after the Venezuela game versus U.S. That was after that incredible semifinals game. So there have been so many great games. And the only issue was, and I made this joke on Twitter, that it was the Japan Tampa Bay Rays taking on the USA Washington Nationals. And the reason I made that joke was Japan went with a bullpen game instead of maybe starting you Darvish and then going to Otani. They really went methodically kind of similar to the Tampa Bay Rays. And the reason I compared to the USA to the Washington Nationals was they weren't hitting at all. But we got the home run from Schwarber late. The game ended 3-2, and it ended on maybe the greatest at-bat in World Baseball Classic history, maybe in Major League history, considering it was Mike Trout, who will probably go down as a top 10 player of all time, and Shohei Otani, who might be the most talented player of all time, and their teammates. All in all, an incredible experience. I mean, that final at-bat... Uh, just to specifically go to that, the, the way Shohei Otani also leading into that, that final inning, right, to shut the door. We knew that they were going to be kind of weird with Otani. We talked about that with uh, the episode prior. We thought it might be a bullpen game. We weren't quite sure how they were going to use Imanaga, who also looked spectacular, by the way. I he think did. he exceeded all of our expectations. Absolutely. He definitely rose to the moment. The velo was up. He was feeling himself in that game, which is what happens sometimes on that big stage. But that was the thing, too, with Team Japan is – uh, you know, the heart rate seems slow for these guys, which is pretty amazing given that I feel like it. I don't want to say that it means more to Team Japan, but it almost feels like it's a little bit more important when you're on the I'll other side of the world. You. I'll say it for you. I think it meant more for. Team OK, Japan. OK, cool. I mean, it, did. It, it was obvious. It, yeah. it just you could see it in the Japanese fans 
television ratings would prove that to be yeah, so. Of course. This yeah. felt like their Super Bowl while in America, it was still important. It was we important, but social media, we saw the fans there. It's not the but same. But it didn't feel like it was all or nothing. With America, it felt like we'd love to win. We are rooting for us to win, but we go home if we lose and we don't lose sleep over it. In Japan, they might not sleep for a week if they yeah. end up losing no, the game. And, and that was what was amazing is you could feel that importance from them, but they still kept the heart rate low. You know, they no still doubt. were able to do everything that they needed to do. There was no like blunders or big mistakes or even bad at bats. I mean, that was the amazing thing about team Japan and USA played well. I understand that the bats were slow, but they had to see a different arm from a different arm slot. Every couple innings, to your point about the race, they had a guy coming from down here and then up here and then, you know, a lefty, then a righty. Like it was really, really good managing as well by Kuriyama. But this was the coolest game because I think you got to see the two different styles of baseball. And Jack mentioned how much he likes the Japanese style of baseball. I think it's a really fun style of baseball. I think it's what base major league baseball is trying to get towards again a little bit. So it was cool to see it on the big stage there. I want to just talk about Shohei because We've never seen somebody go back and forth from the bullpen to the dugout, back to the bullpen, then back to the dugout because he was in the lineup and also had to warm up. Normally, he's a starting pitcher. So when you're a starting pitcher, you don't have to warm up. You're good to go. You're you're in the game. You're fresh. You're ready to go. But when you got to get your arm ready while also being in the lineup, that's exactly why we never see Shohei Otani relieve. Also because he's one of the best starters in the game. But it was amazing to see how he just made that like, no big deal. Running suicides back and forth from the dugout to the bullpen comes in and shuts the door with ease. And I think it's another reason why he is the most talented baseball player of all time. And I made a TikTok recently um, because Colin Cowherd, he's he was talking on his show about how there really is no comparison. You there can't really compare him to the babe because the babe didn't pitch for all that long. But there is one comparison and that is Bullet Rogan, who used to uh, pitch and hit in the minor or in the minor leagues, excuse me, in the Negro leagues back during the same time that. Babe Ruth was playing and, you know, you have managers like Casey Stengel who won five straight chips with the Yankees um, saying that he was the best pitcher at that time. And he was one of the best hitters in all of baseball. You ask a guy like Buck O'Neill, who's a, who's a Negro leagues legend and a hall of famer in his own right, calling him one of the most talented players he's ever seen. This guy put up those types of stats, but in the modern age, in the 21st century, there is absolutely no comparison to a guy like Shohei Otani when a guy who's, and we're watching too, because wasn't the last out Lars Newpar. So he was up in a couple of times. So what if Newpar gets on and Kondo gets on and then he has to run back and actually hit? We know that Shohei Otani probably still would have gotten on base, but then he comes in, faces Jeff McNeil, who hit 320 last year, was the best bat to ball guy in Major League Baseball. Then Mookie Betts, who's top five in Major League Baseball. Then Mike Trout, who's the second best player in the world and gets them all out, gets the ground ball out from Mookie Betts, and then has one of the great battles in Major League history against Mike Trout. It just goes to show that anything on the baseball field, Shohei Otani does it to an elite level. We even joked around. If he was going to play right field with that arm and that speed, he might be the best right fielder defensively uh, in Major League Baseball. He, he would he would have great outs above average numbers, yes. 100%. The last thing I want to say to, to kind of build on that point there was – I had to wait a while uh, in the postgame presser uh, because Shohei was busy spraying champagne and having the time of his life, which was which was awesome. Uh, He probably got to the press room by like 12, 
15, 12, 20. And I'm like, man, I'm waiting on this time. I'm going to ask a question. And, uh, and honestly, like it was, it was kind of crazy just being able to like look at him and have him look at you. I'm like, holy shit, I'm about to ask Shohei Otani a question here. Like my heart starts pounding. And uh, I just wanted to ask him about exactly that running back and forth. And I thought maybe like he might say, yeah, that was different. That was wild because he's never come in relief in, in major league baseball. He's only coming in relief. You would expect that from any human being to be like, yeah, it was a big adjustment, but for him, he gave a completely different answer. Yeah. Like NPB, he's barely even relieved there. WBC, he did it a couple of times and I asked him like, how different was it? And he legitimately said, Man, I've done it before. It was no big deal. And I'm just like, dude, like actually, and hasn't he only done it three or four times yeah. in his whole life? <laughs> like, it, but like for him, if he does it once, he's fine. It's like it's yeah. like a guy like he plays ping pong once and now he'll dominate you or he golfs once and now he's the best. Like he's that asshole friend that's good at everything except the best in the world at probably yeah. everything that has to do with baseball, which is nuts. So uh, that was one of the best weeks I've ever had. As you mentioned on your Instagram post, being able to do it with with some of your best friends you know, to have Jack there, to have you there, to have uh, to have Will come down uh, and be there to our amazing video guy who I think people will start to see more of in your live show that's coming up around the corner here. Uh, it was just an unforgettable week. And, you know, I, I know that it's not that easy for everybody to just stop their lives and go attend a, a baseball tournament somewhere. But if you are able to uh, in, in a few years come to, to go watch, whether it's in Miami, whether it's in Phoenix or wherever you, you could possibly go catch a game, if you can go to a WBC game, it is 100 percent worth it. You won't regret it. You will not regret it. That's the last thing I wanted to say on that. One of the best environments I've ever been in. And you guys have a very skewed perspective of Lone Depot Park now because it is never going to be like that ever again until the WBC rolls back around. I can't wait to bring you when there's 4K in the sands and we'll just be walking around sitting wherever we want. (laughs) The one last thing that I want to say about uh, the World Baseball Classic. I've been watching the at bat between Trout and Otani basically over and over again. I was on a plane and um, I was just watching the video because it was such an incredible at bat. Um, You just got the best of the best going against each other. And that slider to strike him out on three and two was so impressive, not only from a stuff, from a watching it and seeing it dart from basically inside Trout's knee to the outer part of the plate and ended up being a ball. But one thing that I pulled away from it is that Mike Trout, he's known for having one of the best eyes in baseball, and he doesn't miss much. While you can make the jokes that Mike Trout strikes out, there's rarely times where it's a, you know, a swinging strike, right? I saw Codified put something out that he rarely swings and misses on strike three calls. And when it's a ball off the plate, he routinely lets it go and ends up being ball four. One, I'm so glad that he struck out. Imagine a walk like in that bad. Imagine yeah, just like a base on lame. balls. That would have been the worst thing. So I'm glad he swung. But I was looking at that slider and thinking to myself, is that the greatest slider ever thrown? Because he's going 102. He hit 102 against Mike Trout. And then he spins off just this incredible pitch to get the best hitter on planet Earth to swing and miss on a ball outside the zone. Something that's just out of the normal for Mike Trout. The impact of it to win the World Baseball Classic All these different factors had me thinking and sitting in my seat, whether it's true or not. But I really had this thought. Was that the greatest slider ever thrown? And that's what I sat with. That was that was like if you could try to teach because the Yankees are are teaching that variation of a slider, which is sweeper, that sweeper like that is that is like the, the, the gold standard of a sweeper to your point. And I think the codify stat was that 
Mike Trout has never swung and missed three times in an at-bat, or he's only done it 24 times in his entire yeah. career. Think about how many at-bats Mike Trout's had. He's only swung and missed in the same at-bat three times, or 24 times, three swings and misses. Sorry for confusing the way that that was phrased horribly. But I think people could follow. I could say it one more time. <laughs> but swinging and missing three times in an at-bat, he's only done it 24 times. There you go. But that sweeper... With over 6,000 at-bats. Yes. Like, just ridiculous. That sweeper was like to your point insane and honestly trout took a good swing at it like it wasn't like he was on his front foot it wasn't like he looked totally off of the pitch like it just broke beyond anything that his brain is used to seeing Uh, i think that was one of the nastiest pitches i've ever seen in my life and in that spot to hit just hit a couple inches off of the plate like that with all of the adrenaline with everything you're feeling that is one of the craziest pitches ever and and she's perfect pitch I, I'm, I'm excited to see more Shohei now. It was so great too. Um, on the Arm Barn podcast, which you can find at our link tree as well as all the other podcasts on our network, I was talking with Tucker, and I asked him uh, at our World Series or World Baseball Classic preview. I said Trout is most likely going to face Otani in one game or another. How do you see that at bat ending up? And Tucker, of course, lefty on the Angels, teammates with both of them, he said. If Trout can get to that first fastball, he's going to get a hit. But if he swings and misses through that, he's in trouble. And I bet Shohei strikes him out because his point was Trout can get to any pitch. If he is sitting on a fastball, it doesn't matter if it's 200 miles an hour, he's going to hit it. But if for some reason he swings and miss, he is in deep trouble because of Shohei's bag and Shohei showed it off. But another thing why I thought it was just an incredible at bat fastballs, hundred middle. Like, let's see what you got. It wasn't, he wasn't tiptoeing around the plate. He wasn't throwing a bunch of splitters. He wasn't just trying to spit them to death with sweepers. It was fastballs and it was triple digits. And it was saying, I'm the best. You're the best. Let's see who's the goat. And Shohei did it. And there will be bragging rights in that locker room. And I also thought it was so funny too. You know, with a guy like um, Lars Newbar, I saw this meme, Lars Newbar returning uh, to Cardinals camp with a gold medal and Arenado and Goldie returning with a silver medal. And uh, there was the video of, of Tom Brady. I think he might have been in court or something where he's just giving him like the sly smile. I just thought all these different storylines that come after the World Baseball Classic are going to be awesome. And another point. So I'm really excited to see how some of these hitters and pitchers transition, right? They were playing in how, how I, I'm hoping that this is going to help them come opening day, that they're not going to lose anything by playing kind of meaningless spring training games. They were playing in game seven type atmospheres. I'm expecting them to keep that momentum going into the regular season and start off hot. Yeah. And unfortunately, when we get into the National League East here and, and start with the Washington Nationals, I don't think there was one player. On, or do we have Heimer Condelario? Joey Manessis. And Joey Manessis. Oh, so the Nationals have some representation here. We're, we're good. Sir. So there's a tie in here. So the Nationals are going to start hot, right, as we get into the National League East? Joey Manessis, I mean, he, I mean, he can rush the ball for Team Mexico, and he's such an interesting story. So let's get into the National League East previews here, uh, starting with the Washington Nationals. And... Look, they finished last last season. I think they're expected to finish last again this season. The record last year, 55 and 107. I don't think they're going to be that bad this year. I mean, one, it helps to not have as many games against the Braves, the Mets and the Phillies. Uh, Also, they are 
a little bit better. I think it's just that simple. They're a little bit better, but this is going to be a team that I'm very interested to see what their plan is, how soon they start to trade off some of the vets. Uh, But they did add some guys to this lineup that make them competent, right? You go get a Dom Smith, you go get a a Corey Dickerson, who's a journeyman, but he's going to give you at least league average offense. And then Heimer Candelario is, is an interesting addition. A guy that I think, you know, has shown flashes of being an above average hitter, but has has been a bit slower as of late. Then they brought in a Michael Chavis as a non-roster invitee. And then on the pitching side, they've got some guys that we'll get to in a moment, but this lineup, Peter, is, is it the worst lineup in major league baseball? I don't think it's worse than the Oakland A's, uh, but I think it's right there because um, you have some exciting hitters in this lineup. Joey Manessis is one. Heimer Candelario is another. Um, I'm expecting a step up for uh, Kyber Ruiz as well as CJ Abrams. So they have some exciting players who you're going to want to turn on the TV to watch. My issue is the pitching. And we can talk about that in a little bit um, after we talk about this offense, because they weirdly have a decent bench. I like Michael Chavis on the bench. Uh, Riley Adams is a guy who you can plug in. Alex Call, you know, had some triples last year. Or I remember him at triples. least putting bat on ball and, and enough to be a decent bench bat. Like they just have a lot of guys who aren't terrible. I liked Luis Garcia last year when he came up. A guy like Victor Robles, it's just another year of hoping for him to reach his potential, which he just never really has. Uh, but Lane Thomas even is a, is a fine player. I think they're better than the Oakland A's, but it might stop there. Yeah, Lane Thomas actually had a pretty nice year last year overall. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how he builds on that. Jake Alou, also a name to watch. He could have made the team outright outfield prospect that got banged up at the end of the spring. Uh, that's somebody that I think could come up and make an impact. I'm really excited to follow Kiebert Ruiz and CJ Abrams this year. I think those are two guys that, you know, I think, like you mentioned, Victor Robles, we've been waiting for a while now. He's going to be 26. Yes, something could click uh, or he could at least get to that, like Michael A. Taylor type of profile, which it took some time for Michael A. Taylor with the Nationals to get his feet under him. That's still an everyday center fielder, but I'm not really excited to find out about that. I'm excited to find out what CJ Abrams does now with more at-bats. I think, again, it's really underrated how few of at-bats he's had, even in the minor leagues. And Kiebert Ruiz got that extension. He's got the financial security. He's 24 years old. I'm excited to see how that switch inning catcher kind of improves here. Who do you think stands out from this offense this year? Do you think Joey Manessis can follow up what he did last year, which was a spectacular season for him, a breakout, one of the best stories in baseball. Fangraphs hasn't projected for 26 homers. I think off of what we saw in this WBC too, I mean, This guy can hit, man. I think it's that simple. I think he's proven even at 31 years old now, having such a late breakout that it's for real. And a 156 WRC plus last year in 56 games is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, you even saw it in the World Baseball Classic, right? He hit third for Team Mexico, who faced off against Japan in order to get to the title. Like, he hit third for a reason. That wasn't just an accident. Paul Goldschmidt hit third for the United States. Wasn't an accident. You know, Shohei Otani was hitting third. Wasn't an accident. Joey Manessis should be a very solid player. And you mentioned it's Ruiz and it's Abrams and it's Candelario and it's Garcia. Um, besides that, like I'm not too excited for Dom Smith. I'm not too excited for Corey Dickerson. I think Lan- Lane Thomas is fine and Robles is fine, but they did finish 22nd in OPS last year. And I also do find it interesting that they had the same winning percentage after Juan Soto and Josh Bell left the same winning percentage. So they fought together as a team. They kind of molded together and said, well, we got nothing to lose, right? 
And yeah. I think that's the, if you were to put the national season this year into a couple of words, it's we have nothing to lose. Yeah, we have Play nothing the to young lose. guys, see what they got, see what you have. You traded Juan Soto for a barrel of prospects. See what you got, right? This is a rebuilding year. That's where the Nationals are currently. But the reason I think that the Nationals will be one of the worst teams in baseball is because of the starting staff. Yeah, so the rotation will take you through it. It's Pat Corbin, the definition of the sacrificial lamb every fifth day there. Uh, Josiah Gray, who was really just a disappointment last year, but still extremely young. Trevor Williams was picked up as a free agent. He was with the Mets last year. And then you have Mackenzie Gore, who's healthy. Very excited to see how he does. And then a non-roster invitee will probably break into this rotation in Chad Cool, who had one of the worst pitches in Major League Baseball last year as you shake your head. Uh, but they did add him to the rotation. We'll get to the bullpen, but I do want to mention one guy in that bullpen because I do think he's going to end up making an impact in the rotation. It's Thad Ward, the number one pick in the Rule 5 draft. Everyone dreams of such a thing, right? 1-1. One, one. Um, Thad Ward was such a lock to be drafted in the Rule 5 that the pick was in before the, the, the Rule 5 draft even happened. It got like leaked. Um, Thad Ward, I actually really do like. I don't know how he'll do in you know five to six inning spurts. He's been fantastic from when I've seen him in three, four inning spurts because he was coming off of Tommy John last year. He's got to be a better option than Chad Cool. I think that was a great pickup for them in the rule five. Might plug into the rotation, but you hate this rotation, Peter. Yeah, I hate this rotation. Um, you have Patrick Corbin and Josiah Gray, uh, two players who made our worst pitches list. That was Patrick <laughs> Corbin's slider and that was Josiah Gray's fastball. I just am so disappointed in Josiah Gray and he is only 25. So maybe he turns it around this season, but he was a guy who came over the Max Scherzer trade with Kiba Ruiz. And we assumed that he would be a good pitcher. He looked like a very good pitching prospect, a guy who yeah. picked up pitching I liked late, him a lot. and the Dodgers really liked his stuff profile and they were shooting him up. But then they thought, all right, well, we have an opportunity to get Max Scherzer. So we're going to have to part with the top pitching prospect and a top catching prospect. And I think Nationals fans are really excited to see a guy like Josiah Gray, but he has just been dreadful and it comes in the form of home runs. He just gives up so many home runs. Patrick Corbin is the same thing. And Chad Cool is the number one pitcher to fade for me, um, <laughs> especially like he was bad in Coors Field. He's really been not that great his entire career. Fangraphs is projecting a 5 2 1 ERA. And I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was more. Uh, so you got three days in the rotation where you're probably losing. And then a guy like Trevor Williams, who I think is fine. But yeah. again, as your three starter, that's not going to cut it. The only player who I'm excited to turn on is Mackenzie Gore, who's already turned in a great spring. And he looks to be turning back into that top pitching prospect who we saw with the San Diego Padres, who again came over in the Juan Soto deal. You know, he's still just 24 years old. He was given Clayton Kershaw comps for a reason because he has this funky delivery. He has a, such great stuff. He's the guy who, if you're watching Nationals games, you should turn on the TV to watch because this could end up being one of the great young pitchers in our league. Remember, yeah, even I'm last year, even last year, he was atop the rookie of the year odds until he went down with that injury. Like we see it. It's just, can he do it over a full season? Can he do it over a full season? Can he stay healthy? You know, and I think those are the two questions, just consistency and health. And those usually go hand in hand. He just turned 24 years old. Talk about 
a guy that is a victim of prospect fatigue. Obviously, the roller coaster that he had a little bit in San Diego didn't help, but uh, the Nationals wanted him in that Soto package for a reason. This is a guy that is extremely talented, as you mentioned, and, and could end up being of great value to them in that package of, of a slew of extremely talented and valuable prospects. This rotation, though, if somebody goes down, it's going to be rough because you know, Steven Strasburg, you, you are not going to get anything from him. And that makes me extremely sad. I, I know that makes both of us extremely sad. It, it was such a range of emotions to go to that start in Miami last year. Went and covered that, watched him return. I was so excited to just see him on the mound. I didn't really care how he did, uh, but it was really tough to see him like barely scrape 90 miles an hour, you know, like there's just barely get to to 90 and, and look like he was laboring. Like, I don't think we're ever going to see Strasburg back. And then Kate Cavalli, he goes undergoes Tommy John surgery. Uh, and, and now that's their top pitching prospect. He's out for the year. So those two guys probably not giving them anything. We know Cavalli won't Strasburg, probably not. That hurts the rotation big time. And they don't really have any prospects on that front that are going to come in and, and make a huge impact. One pickup I did like in the lineup side, by the way, Stone Garrett, uh, who was really solid in, in the upper minors and in a cameo in the big leagues for the D-backs last year. Garrett could be an option for them in that lineup as well. We'll wrap up with the Nationals in the bullpen. Uh, the bullpen's not the worst, uh, given the rest of this Nationals team. Uh, they went out and added Alex Colomay. Of course, Thad Ward is projected to s- probably start the season in that bullpen there. But for the most part, it's a lot of the same guys. Yeah, Carl Edwards, Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey, Erasmo Ramirez, Mason Thompson, Paolo Espino. It, it's just whatever. It is whatever, but it might be the best unit on their team. Yeah. They finished 15th in bullpen ERA last year. A uh, guy like Carl Edwards, ERA below three. Hunter Harvey, 252. Erasmo Ramirez, 292. Mason Thompson, again, 2.92 ERA. And then they have Kyle Finnegan at the top. This isn't a bad bullpen. It's not a lot of names that you're going to get really excited for, but it is a lot of guys who can get outs. And when you add Paulo Espino, who can be like a six man in the rotation, personally, I would take him over Chad Cool, and I wouldn't think twice about it. And then you have Thad Ward coming out of that bullpen in case he doesn't start in the rotation, but as like a swing man type to maybe follow Josiah Gray or maybe follow a Trevor Williams or something like that. They can piece together pitching but they're not going to hit enough. And when you have Corbin gray and cool in your rotation, who appear to be auto losses, <laughs> all three of them had an ERA over five last year. The bullpen is the best unit, but at the same time, it's not something that you're going to get out of your seat and change the channel to watch. Yeah, probably not. Um, that'll probably do it for the national side of things. You want to move on to the Marlins? <laughs> Yes, let's move on to the Marlins. (laughs) We move on to the Marlins and we will progressively get more interesting here. Marlins are a step up, obviously. And then we got the the three headed monster at the top on the way. But start with the Miami Marlins. We're busy this offseason at the very least. It was a disappointing year last year where uh, even even with meager expectations, they were disappointing. They won 69 games. That was below what Vegas had for them. Lost 93. Uh, But they dealt with some injuries. They also just had one of the worst offenses in baseball, one of the worst bullpens in baseball, and their perceived strength of a rotation was not as strong as they had hoped. They do add Luis Arias via trade with Pablo Lopez, who was awesome in the WBC and is the reigning batting champ. Take a shot every time you've heard that. Uh, They also add Gene Segura, who may not move the needle for most teams, but guess what? He would have been one of their best hitters last year. They also have... 
non-roster invitees, Yuli Gurriel and Jose Iglesias in the fold here on the offensive side. We'll get to some of the other additions that they made on the bullpen and rotation side of things. But this offense will be better. Will it be good? No, but it will be better. Arias is something that they have not had in terms of caliber of hitter. Yes, you can talk about what you got from Jazz Chisholm for 60 games last year, but in terms of a full season, they have probably not had a hitter as talented as Luis Arias since Starling Marte. And before that, it was probably Yelich, Stanton, and Ozuna. So uh, this is a really big addition for the Marlins and gives them just a much needed, reliable, proven bat, which they haven't really had. Yeah, the Marlins are a very popular win total bet um, on the books. Yeah, they're one of the teams um, who came in top five in in terms of handle um, in Major League Baseball among all teams because their win totals around in the 60s. I think right now it's sitting at around 69 or 70. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are saying, well, they won 69 games last year and the team looks better. And I would agree. Um, Avi Garcia can't get any worse, right? Jorge Soler... It's still a 25 to 30 home run guy when healthy. It's just a problem. He wasn't very healthy. Garrett Cooper over a full season is a very good hitter. But the problem is over a full season. I think the Marlins are going to have issues in the outfield when you consider Jazz Chisholm was making the move to center field from second base. And then you look at guys like Brian De La Cruz, who had a great end of the season, but is not a guy who was put together a consistent full season. You have guys like Jesus Sanchez, again, Jorge Soler, and Avi Garcia. I think that's where the problems will sit. But in terms of the infield, I don't really mind it. When you have Gene Segura, when you have Joey Wendell, when you have Luis Arias, and you have Garrett Cooper, like that is a, and then of course you have Yuli Gurriel on the bench and Jose Iglesias to kind of fill in when you need. The only issue I foresee with this offense is, of course, staying healthy, but defense. We talked about it, too. They have a lot of guys out of position, and you need defense to succeed in this league. It's one of the more underrated things that a lot of fans maybe forget about because, you know, everyone's looking at home run totals and OPS leaders, but no one's looking at defensive runs saved leaders uh, for baseball teams. But while they will be better offensively, this might be the worst defensive unit in Major League Baseball. It, there, there's a chance, man. And, and it's an interesting year to to kind of cast the defense to the side uh, when you have the shift limitations and you have a rotation that, you know, Sandy Alcantara is a ground ball spinner and we'll get to the rest of the rotation. But the, the whole rotation likes to get ground balls. Right. So that side of it is is interesting. Uh, this is the deepest Marlins lineup and bench in terms of just like major league caliber players in a long no time. No doubt. John Birdie's on the bench and John Birdie, what did he lead the league in stolen bases? He led the league in steals. The bench? He led the league in steals. And, and that's a guy that I like personally think should be in the lineup more. He should be getting some looks in center field when you want to get Jazz Chisholm off his feet, which they should do from time to time, especially as he learns a new position in center, which is going to be a lot. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be some, some low lights, I think, from that. But the Marlins are willing to kind of stomach that. That said, he was hurt. He missed 120 games last year or 100 games last year. That's a guy that you need to probably get off his feet from time to time. Get Birdie out there a little bit. Get Birdie moving around the infield. Joey Wendell was hurt last year at shortstop. Get Birdie some reps there as well to get Joey Wendell some days off. Uh, I, I don't think Iglesias makes this team, which is the craziest part. I think Yuli Gurriel does make this team, uh, and I think we'll probably find that out pretty soon. But Gurriel is, is a much needed bat, too, for them. I don't know what they're going to get. He was pretty terrible in the regular season, great in the postseason, and great the bench. year before that. 
But on your bench, I mean, it's yeah. a great bench bat. It's not like he's slated to be the opening day first baseman and hitting third. Him on yeah. the bench, it's like we have to almost evaluate him on a different scale now. It's not the Yuli Gurriel who's going to hit third and play first. It's the Yuli Gurriel who's going to play some DH and, and you know, fill in when needed. In that role, he's great. How much better is this offense this year than it was last year? So last year, I, off the top of my head, I believe it was like, almost every offensive category was, was 25th to 27th, right? Like somewhere around there. Yeah. They finished 27th and average 27th and on base and 27th and OPS. So I assume by those numbers, you know, on OPS is on base plus slugging. You'd assume that they were 27th in slugging. This, this lineup is better on paper. There is no doubt about it. This lineup is better. The issue is, Will all of these guys stay healthy? Because I think you can go through every single player in the lineup except Luisa Rise and say, will they stay healthy? Maybe even a guy like Gene Segura. Yeah, Gene's you, been good. The best, way, the best way to predict future injury is pass injuries. And yeah. these guys have all had them. Uh, so you look at a guy like Garrett Cooper. Over a full season, he's a great hitter. Yeah. Jorge Soler, over a full season, is a 30 home run guy. Avi Garcia can't be any worse. So it's like you look at it and you say, wow, this lineup should finish – you know, in the teens in terms of OPS, WRC plus all those stats. But it's just that's why it's so hard to sit here today on March 24th or whatever day it is and say, is this lineup better? Because on paper, of course it is. But will they stay healthy is the question. A hundred percent. The one thing they do have working is is a little bit more depth because last year they'd plug in some guys that you're like, holy crap, you know, that's a lineup. And and also one hole hold a poke in roster resource, a very rare hold a poke. Brian De La Cruz will make the opening day roster. He's not on there on roster resource. So for those who are you know drafting really deep in really deep leagues or whatever it may be, Brian De La Cruz will be on the opening day roster for the Marlins. Here's the strength, the pitching. They've no got doubt. the reigning Cy Young winner in Sandy Alcantara. Jesus Lizardo, again, has looked spectacular this spring, was great when healthy last year. They, so nasty. they have Trevor Rogers, who has been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde again this spring training, but had a really good start uh, again recently, had a bad one and then a really good one before that. So he looks a lot better. Edward Cabrera, when he's healthy, I mean, we, we know how nasty he can be. And then they add Johnny Cueto in free agency, who is a solid, you know, back end of the rotation starter for them. They also have Braxton Garrett kind of waiting as that alternate in the number six starter, which it is really important for them, given the injury risk that they have in this rotation outside of Sandy Alcantara and Johnny Cueto, who is actually ironically banged up right now. This rotation is going to be better this year, too, just off of pure availability and off of just adding a Cueto and having a Braxton Garrett as your sixth starter instead of a guy that was in the rotation basically every fifth day at points last year. How do you feel about this rotation overall? Uh, and, and do you think it is as good as people like to say it is? It's funny. From a baseball perspective, you look at this rotation and you say, Man, they got a lot of dudes. They have a lot of dudes from a betting perspective, because I'm writing on my 2023 MLB betting preview Risk. going over a lot of win totals. I'm not betting on their over win total. And it's not because of the offense. It's because of the starting pitching. Not saying I'm betting on the under, but there's so much upside and downside to this. It's, it's a very volatile rotation. hundred percent. Very volatile. It has so much potential. This, oh if they all stay healthy and they perform to what we think is possible, this could be the third best starting rotation. Like it legit has that much potential. Yeah. You see a full season Edward at his, in his best. Like that is a very good pitcher. Jesus Zardo 
Enough set. Like the guy is so nasty and disgusting, disgusting that he's gonna rattle off 10 strikeout games like the like it's nothing. You look at a guy like Trevor Rogers, remember that rookie of the year campaign? He was incredible. And then Sandy is the best pitcher on planet Earth, at least for my money. And then Johnny Cueto, if he does what he does last year, he was incredible last That's year. That's like the best five in baseball, right? <laughs> But then let me give you the downside, right? Let's say Sandy takes a minor step back, which is entirely possible because he was uh, what he was the best pitcher alive last year over 230 innings with this defense behind him. Yeah, because he's not a full strikeout guy because his job is to go H strong. His not his job. If he was on the Dodgers. Yeah, strike out a million guys and he could do it. So, well, that's why I think he's the best pitcher on the planet. But for the Marlins, his job is to get ground balls to go get him deep. out in innings and to have low, low amounts of pit, low pitch counts. How will he do behind this Marlins defense? It might not even be his fault. Like he could be a guy who we look at the FIP and say, Oh my God, he was incredible, but he has a three, two ERA. Like he's done that before, right? He could get three. he's done that before. Jesus Zardo. So nasty, but the reality is he hasn't stayed healthy for his entire career. Not just one season, really his entire career. Which, which kills me, man. It kills me because we've had him on the show. He's such a good dude. He works such his ass dude. off and he's so talented. That's one of the guys that's like top of my list. Like, please stay healthy. But there is no debate on the talent. Absolutely no debate. I have seen enough where I see this guy and I think over a full season, he could be better than a guy like Pablo Lopez. And I'm not 100%. just saying that. Like, I think 100%. he is that nasty. You look at Trevor Rogers and it's, do we get last season or do we get the season before where he was amazing? It's we've seen flashes in spring, right? You laid it out perfectly. A great start followed by a bad start. Yeah. Like what version are we going to get? I couldn't tell you. One of the more harder pitchers to project in all of Major League Baseball. Edward. Yeah. Top, same, top five. <laughs> like top five most in, insanely in, unpredictable guys in the world. It's almost impossible because you look at the stuff and you're like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. But it's like, uh, will he throw strikes? Will he stay healthy? You, uh, there's no real way to figure that out. Edward Cabrera, very similar to Lizardo. You give me 180 innings of Edward at his top, he is going to be incredible. He's a legend on MLB The Show for a reason because yeah. the stuff is crazy. Yeah. But will he stay healthy? Cueto, foolish baseball, coined the greatest meme ever created of the Chad Innings Eater whose peripherals say you should retire. He's he's literally that. that. He's, he's literally the definition that. of that. Yeah. Will he continue to outperform the peripherals? Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. We have no idea. So that's why I can't bet on this team. I can't bet an over. I'm certainly not betting the under because the upside is awesome. Which is and good the news. The upside is great with the lineup, too. So it's good news on a baseball perspective. Marlins fans can dream on a team that if everything goes right, they will compete. Yeah. The issue is, will it happen? It, it always seems to not. Um, but, you know, I, I think that to your point, the fact that the Marlins, even if it's a 1% chance or 2% chance or 5% chance, have a scenario here where they can like win 80 games, where, where, where if that rotation clicks, like they, they could win play, more. They're, they're playing meaning. If the lineup stays healthy and the rotation stays healthy, they could win. They could be an 85 win team. Which that's all I think Marlins fans have been asking for is like just have an outside, even if it's a 2 3% shot, just an outside shot at like something competitive and that they have enough talent now, I think to where you can hope for that. And the other side of it was the the bullpen, right? The bullpen was atrocious last year and I don't think it's going to be good, but it's less atrocious this year. It's deeper. And that's something that they needed. I mean, they were rolling out Tanner Scott, every single save opportunity, every single eighth and ninth inning, like he was fucking Josh Hader. It was, it was 
ridiculous. And now, you know, you have somebody like uh, uh, an AJ Puck who has looked fantastic this spring. They add Matt Barnes, who isn't great, but just just a guy that can pitch high leverage. Uh, Matt Barnes would have been one of their best relievers last year. They get JT Chagua, who's a solid middle reliever. They I love the Nick Enright pick in the Rule 5 draft. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, so we're, we're praying for him and, and hope he can get back on the field very soon. Uh, but that's a guy that, if he's healthy and able to be on the field, he is somebody that I do think is a really solid bullpen addition for them. And then, look, Tanner Scott, just get him out of save opportunity. He's, he's a good, nasty lefty. Floro was banged up last year. Oh, Kurt was surprisingly decent. This bullpen could be league average. I think that's all they needed to be with what this rotation is. You laid out the upside of the rotation. Again, having Braxton Garrett to hedge some of the volatility in that rotation. Having a Jake Eater, having a Yuri Perez also knocking on the door who could debut, I think, sometime early in the season. He has some things he needs to work through. They, they gave him a lot of looks in spring training. Yuri has probably uh, 10 to 12 starts he needs to make in triple a before he's fully ready, but they've got the depth at least to hedge some of the rotation volatility. There's a scenario where this bullpen though improved could be still a disaster. Yeah, I lean that way. And I think that's where we differ a little bit. Cause I think we're both pretty in agreement on the lineup, having a lot of upside and the starting rotation, having as much upside as any in major league baseball, but it's the bullpen because it's like, you look at the losses, right? Anthony Bass was great for them. And now he's a Toronto blue Jay who they lost at the deadline, like Dylan Floro, Tanner Scott. I personally don't think anything of Matt Barnes. I would not pitch him in high leverage situation as a Red Sox, as you know, facing him as a Yankee fan. I loved when Matt Barnes would come into the game because that meant runs for our team. I didn't under really understand the pickup. I know he has a pedigree of pitching well, but the last couple of years, it's just not the same Matt Barnes. The only pitcher who I really want to rely on in this bullpen is AJ Puck. Love that pickup. I thought they killed that trade. Great Great trade by Kim Ang. Buttercook. Chargois is a good pitcher. I like him in the bullpen. I think those two are your best, though, which is funny because I you look at Ross Resource and Puck and Chargois are the middle relief guys. But I think those are the two best. But I look at a Marlins bullpen that finished 22nd in ERA last year, 27th in whip, and I think they are worse. Huh. That's my issue again. I realistically think that this bullpen is worse off than it was last year. Very similar to the Rangers. I thought they kind of forgot. Like you lost <laughs> some kind of good, bad. you lost some good relievers and you hedge it with Puck and Chargois, but it's not to that level. And Puck is a guy who's been up and down, right? Yeah. There's a reason Chargois is not on the raise anymore. It's a, it's a bullpen that I'm of these units. I'm, I'm excited for the upside of the lineup. I'm very excited for the upside of the rotation, but the bullpen is, is a, is a unit that I am, I think could be one of the worst in baseball. It Maybe that's be. just me. No, no, it definitely could suck. Um, the one thing that's interesting is Floro. Uh, Floro, over his last three seasons, 142 innings, a 285 ERA. It's mm-hmm. really not bad, 25 saves. That's a guy that's been really reliable for them, but they need AJ Puck to be AJ Puck, like the AJ Puck that everyone was hoping would be, but in bullpen form. I, I don't know if he's going to stay healthy. If he gets hurt, they're in big trouble. So uh, it, it's, it's, 
not a good bullpen overall, but at least they have some more upside than they may have had going into the offseason. I agree, though. They should have spent some money, gone and getting Andrew Chafin or somebody like that. I mean, the exactly. D-backs got was, Andrew Chafin. Why couldn't you get was, Andrew Chafin? There were so many arms. That's why I'm saying it, too, is that there were so many arms available, and they didn't get any of them. They made the trade for Puck, which I liked. And you're right, Floro, I didn't give him enough shine that he deserves. He has been very good over the last three seasons. <laughs> he's just he's so know. boring oh, he's he a ground ball reliever bro he's a ground ball reliever it's bizarre i don't know why they, they with went the marlins defense yeah i'm I, with I, the marlins I, defense it's bizarre now we get to go to the three really fun teams <laughs> the teams that everybody actually clicked on this podcast to listen about uh we've we've got next up the Phillies because the Phillies finished third somehow feels like we shouldn't be talking about the Phillies yet because they made it to the world series but Last year, they won 87 games. They were 87 and 75. And man, this team is going to be good. And and it's really fun that what this National League East continues to just turn into, because I don't know if anyone ever thought that the Phillies would be right there with the Braves and Mets at midway through last season. But here we are going into 2023 and they add Trey Turner to a World Series team. Uh, They add some decent bench guys as well. But I think just simply adding Trey Turner to this lineup is enough to, I I don't like to put too much value on one move. That's enough for me where I'm like, that is one of the biggest moves in, in recent memory because he's exactly what the Phillies needed. They needed speed. They needed a guy that just makes contact and gets on base and he can still run into homers. Talking about the WBC, he tied the World Baseball Classic record with five homers. He was locked in. And I think he just gives a nice balance to the Kyle Schwarbers, the Reese Hoskins, the Nick Castellanos of the world. And to the can't be worse point, Nick Castellanos cannot be worse this year. Bryson Stott, I think, is going to continue to get better. Alec Bohm seems like he's going to continue to get better. This team has a good balance of vets that I think could bounce back or are already proven and always good, like a Schwarber, and then youngsters that seem to keep getting better every time we check in. The Phillies are going to be even better than last year in the lineup, and I'm really excited to watch this team battle against the other two monsters in the NL East. Easily one of the most entertaining teams in Major League Baseball. Really excited to watch the Phillies this year. And they were able to part with a top catching prospect in Logan O'Hoppy because they needed a center fielder and they got one in Brandon Marsh, who I thought had a great cameo with the Phillies last year. Maybe not to the level that Phillies fans expected when you part with a top prospect, but we also have to remember that Brandon Marsh is still 25 years old. You didn't just trade for a 30-year-old outfielder who you needed in that you know couple of months that you had him to go off. He's a guy who's going to slot in at center and play a very long time. You look at the roster resource and you see no weaknesses outside of DH, right, with Derek Hall. But then you understand that Bryce Harper is coming back. This lineup is going to be awesome. And I think and um, Trey Turner, he was my favorite preseason prop over any player in Major League Baseball for his over 19 and a half home runs. Ever since the World Baseball Classic started, that line has moved to 22 and a half. And for good reason, because it's too low, because he's been 28 home runs in 2021, 21 home runs in 2022. I almost feel that he's going to start entering his Jose Altuve era. Remember when Jose Altuve, he was like 20 home runs a year, but he was 40 bags. That's kind of what Trey Turner has been. I think Trey Turner is going to lock into that power a little bit more and really become because he can do it right. Very similar to Altuve. It's just what kind of player do you want to be for the rest of your career? Do you want to be a guy who's running all the time, maybe risking injury? I know Trey Turner doesn't want to do that. So I think he leans into this power stroke, which he found in the WBC and really goes off and becomes a great power hitter. 
which is not what you'd expect from a guy like Trey Turner. Maybe you sacrifice sacrifice a couple of points in batting average, but if he can be 25 to 30 home runs, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Overall, this is just a really exciting lineup. But again, we go back to defense and they're not going to be great defensively because while they needed Trey Turner on the base pass and just as a one of the best players in Major League Baseball, he's not bringing much defense. I think he's a fringe average defender at shortstop. I think he's fine over there. But you look at the outfield, not going to be very good defensively. Bohm at third. You know, Stott is a great second baseman, but Reese at first is one of grades is one of the worst defensive first baseman. But of course, you have J.T. Romuto as the best defensive catcher in Major League Baseball or whatever. He's he's up there yeah. for my money. He is. So overall, they're not going to be great defensively, but they made it to the World Series, the worst defensive team than they do this year. So. You kind of throw that out the window because they're just going to hit too much. And, and Marsh, right, a full season of Marsh defensively now, that it really it makes that pickup so important. Because if you're going to have bad defense, at least overall, at least have great defensive catcher, to your point, and a great defensive center fielder and Marsh. So that helps big time. And, and even up the middle, Stott being so good at second. And, and Trey Turner's not bad. He's, he's not a average. liability. He's not great. Yeah, he's solid. Honestly, in the grand scheme of this, of this defense, if you compare <laughs> Trey Turner shortstop to – to Reese Hoskins first base, Nick, Nick Castellanos right field slash Schwarber in the outfield. Uh, he's he's one of your better defenders. So also the bench, which I like a lot, right? To have an Edmundo Sosa there who plays fantastic defense all over the infield and can play the outfield. Josh Harrison is Mr. Versatile, can still pick it all over the infield as well. Uh, and then they've got Jake Cave and Garrett Stubbs in there as well. But I, I love the Josh Harrison and Mundo Sosa combination there as two of the most versatile players in baseball. It's like Sosa is just a more explosive, younger version of Josh Harrison. So I like the bench that they have there. This team's going to be a force. And it looks like Bryce Harper might be back a little bit earlier than people think. One thing about Derek Hall I think he had 37 home runs between AAA and the big leagues last year. He's going to strike out, but he's going to run into some bombs. He can hold you over until Harper comes back. No doubt about it. And this team finished eighth in OPS last season. I think they finished within the top five. This lineup is incredible. A hundred percent. I'm with you on that one. Rotation. It's it's solid. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen them address it. There's some questions, but what rotation doesn't have some questions, but when you have the top of Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, that's as good of a one, two punch as you're going to find. They go get Taiwan Walker. They probably pay him more than, you know, any of us would have wanted to pay Taiwan Walker, but the market was crazy. And it, even if you feel like it's an overpay, he helps their rotation. He's a much needed, just steady arm there. And then they also have Ranger Suarez, who is dealing with some forearm tightness. Hopefully he can not come good. back and be healthy. That's not great, uh, but he is a fan. He's probably their three over Taiwan Walker. And then no you doubt. got maybe Bailey Falter rounding out that rotation roster resource as Michael Plasmeyer in there because you're also dealing with an Andrew Painter who has a, a partial tear to his UCL. He's supposed to pitch through it, still believed to debut this year. Uh, but with with an injury now to you know, Suarez, this rotation is a little bit more concerning. And now I'm saying, thank goodness they picked up Taiwan Walker. Yeah, right now sitting here, the rotation has a lot of question marks. But if you look at on paper when everybody's healthy and you can go Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, Painter. I mean, come on. That is so good. But right now it's Wheeler and Nola. I like Taiwan Walker. I think he's a fine pitcher, but I don't think that he's someone who 
you really want starting game three of the World Series, you know, and that's how we compare the Phillies because they are a World Series contender. So we hold them to a higher standard. You look at guys like Bailey Falter, Plasmeyer, and it's not a lot to be excited about. But what we can lock in is 200 innings from Aaron Nola, one of the most dependable starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. We ranked him 13 because he is amazing. Zach Wheeler, for my money, is the sixth best pitcher in Major League Baseball. That's where we ranked him. We were talking about Otani maybe being over him, but he's in that breath. In the playoffs, he was as dominant as humanly possible, except when he ran into a little bit of arm issues because they were just pitching him, it seemed like, every single day because they were riding him to the championship, kind of like the Nationals did with Steven Strasburg when he won the World Series MVP. I think if he comes back healthy and Nola comes back healthy, it's hard to find a better one-two. It's just how will the rest of the rotation stack up? But the thing is, they hedge that with such great offense that, let's say Bailey Falter gives up five runs, Phillies probably score seven. Yep. That's just, they know they got to bring the bats that day. So this team is going to be so good. And I'm just hoping that we can see on paper, those five make starts this year, worried about Painter, worried about Ranger Suarez. He was just diagnosed with forearm tightness back on March 8th. That's someone to definitely watch. But the great part about the Phillies is when you have the top two at the top, you can beat anybody. I do wonder, you know, if Ranger Suarez goes down, you know, and is expected to miss time. I, I bet Zombrowski makes a move because if, if yeah. you had a hundred percent healthy painter, I'd feel better. But you know, the, he's going to pitch through a partially torn UCL. We'll see how that goes. And then Griff McGarry, their other top pitching prospect, who's you know, depending on who you ask, a top one hundred guy. I think he's just on the outside looking in. Major command issues, so that's not a guy that I'm probably trusting to just make that transition to the rotation. They have a few relievers who could, you know, maybe be stretched out uh, like a, like a Connor Brogdon or somebody like that. But if you're starting them, that's not the best news in the world, but the bullpen, man, remember when we used to wonder how the Phillies bullpen was going to look, remember when the the Phillies bullpen used to be this Achilles heel. It's pretty damn good. Now when you got somebody like Sir Anthony Dominguez and, and, and Jose Alvarado there, they go get a Craig Kimbrell who look, I know that Craig Kimbrell is not Craig Kimbrell anymore, but if that guy's throwing sixth and seventh inning for you, worth a flyer, see how he does. They trade for Gregory Soto, who I, I I think is is pretty overrated, but he saved a lot of games. Again, that's a lefty that could come in, and if he's not a closer for you, maybe a, a pretty solid middle reliever. They also signed Matt Strom, and they trade for Junior Marte. How do you feel about this bullpen overall? I mean, it was good last year. It, it was really good in the playoffs and they added some intriguing guys who have a history of shutting the door and high leverage. Kind of similar to the Marlins rotation, at least the way that I look at it, tons of upside. If Kimbrell can look back to the way or even 80% of what he was that in the seventh inning, 60% dude, 60% Gregory Soto, give me 80% of his best year. That's a great, like sixth inning guy. Dominguez, we saw him in the playoffs. The dude is straight up disgusting. Love him in the closer role. And Jose Alvarado, it's hard to find a lefty throwing 100, and he's got it. Matt Schramm, I thought was a great pickup for them. Bellotti is even fine. Brogdon is pretty good. Like, you look and you say, wow, the upside on this bullpen. Last year, they finished 23rd in ERA. This is a bullpen that, if everything works out, could be top 10. But then there's the downside, right? Craig Kimbrell could only get worse, and he was bad last year. I remember betting on the Dodgers, right? You see Craig Kimbrell come in in with that bullpen of how many good pitchers there were. 
he was the Achilles heel. No, he was brutal. Gregory Soto, command issues. Do they get worse? They certainly haven't gotten better over the years. Could it be even worse? You know, Sir Anthony Dominguez has been dealing with injuries kind of for a little while now. Alvarado was a guy who gave up that home run to Jordan Alvarez. Now, you can't blame him for that, but how good will he be? You know, I think he can still be solid, but will he be to the level of maybe last year over its entirety? I think that this bullpen has a ton of upside, but the downside outside of maybe even Jose Alvarado because of Dominguez's injury history would be, you know, the bottom of the teens in terms of ERA. It, it could improve slightly or it com- could improve a ton. Yeah. With that said, it's better than last year, which is the most important part. And it, it is and- better than last year. And it, even if like they meet in the middle, right of top 10 or teens like if they have the 13th best bullpen with the rest of how good the team is that's all you need right and that's where i think they'll probably end up i think they'll be between the 10 to 15 range in terms of bullpens well and this bullpen was clicking on all cylinders in the postseason and down the stretch of the and they look great yeah, I mean, they were clicking on all cylinders down the reg- the stretch of the regular season and the postseason. So th- th- there's there's a, a good trend there. They, there's some interesting irons in the fire. And uh, we'll see if they get anything from Noah Song, Rule 5 draft pick from the Red Sox. Also, Christopher Sanchez, a reliever that I think just for optics, they would probably like to see do well because he was swapped for, I believe it was Curtis Mead, when Curtis Mead was just a, a no-name prospect back in the day uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays, or uh, just with the Phillies swapped over to the Tampa Bay Rays, which is just a ridiculous trade. So we move on to the next team, which would bring up, you could go with either. It was a tie, but we'll start with the Mets. We'll go to the New York Mets here who were 101 and 61, technically tied with the Atlanta Braves. The Mets, obviously the the big news, the big story has been the injury to Edwin Diaz. We'll get to the bullpen there, which is is still going to be, I think, fine, but it, it is really a tough blow when you lose the best closer in baseball and one of the most dominant closers we've seen. Uh, it was more about keeping the band together, right? They they extend Nemo. They make sure that they keep most of this team together here. They give McNeil that extension also as well to keep him here for a while. But one of the new additions to the lineup is Omar Narvaez, which is going to be a big addition from whatever the hell they got from the catching position last year. They also add Tommy Pham to the bench. They're kind of running it back here offensively. And can you blame them, Peter? You, you've got Francisco Lindor. You've got Pete Alonso. You've got Jeff McNeil. Uh, you've got Starling Marte. Uh, this is just a, a really talented, talented lineup uh, from top to bottom. And I think just getting rid of the gaping hole that was the James McCann, Tomas Nito catching situation and swapping that out now with Narvaez and Nito. Uh, this is going to be a slightly better lineup just from that alone. And the rest of the lineup is guys that I think are either going to match last year or, or do something close to it. Some may even exceed it. Yeah. They finished six in OPS last year. And um, I liked your point about Narvaez because, you know, people may look at the WRC plus numbers, the offensive numbers and say, is he really that much an upgrade over McCann? He is better offensively than McCann, but is he really defensively? This dude is 
all world. And there's a reason the Brewers rotation has been great. And it's not all because of Narvaez, but you have to give him some credit. And Omar Narvaez for this pitching rotation, I love. And then, of course, Francisco Alvarez is probably going to make his debut at some point. That's the reason they got Omar Narvaez to maybe give Francisco Alvarez a helping hand. So really like the Omar Narvaez pickup for a multitude of reasons. But then you look at the rest of the lineup. There's no weaknesses here. Brandon Immon center is one of the best. Starling Marte, when you move him over to a corner, is awesome. Lindor might be my pick to win the MVP this year. Pete Alonso is the best run producer in Major League Baseball. It's been proven by the RBI numbers. And it's not just because he tallies up a bunch of RBI he's great when you need him right runs on first and second one out runs on third he hits the sack fly he gets the base hit he shortens up with two strikes his job is to drive and runs and he does it at the best level possible jeff mcneil is as good of a second baseman as anyone in major league baseball i was totally wrong on the dan vogelback trade that was one that i really criticized the mets for because i didn't understand why they traded a reliever that i thought they needed at the time and i thought vogelback just wasn't that hitter but he was great for the mets and i'm glad to be wrong about that because i remember going to city field and watching him and saying, yeah, that was a blunder on my part. He was great for the Mets. You have Mark Cannon in left field, who's the definition of solid. And then you have Eduardo Escobar at third, but you also have Brett Beatty there, who yeah. is as good of a prospect that is going to debut next year as as we have in Major League Baseball. I don't see a weakness. I, I'm really excited. Beatty's been showing out well in camp. That He's still there. Um, the defenses look good. The bat is, I think, as legit as it gets. And and I'm, I think that he could... F- really make a nice platoon with Escobar who they prefer from the right side anyway. So that's another guy that I think could be a, a big X factor for them. What's interesting with, with the Mets is they're running it back with the lineup, but as you mentioned with Alvarez, who could be a huge impact on the catching side uh, in terms of offense that they can get there and getting a starter who's more of that traditional defensive guy that you kind of like from a backup that would balance really well with Alvarez once his time comes to, to, to get that call up, which I think will come a month or two into the season. Uh, and then Brett Beatty, as, as we mentioned, like those are two guys that could just be upgrades from within Mark Vientos also an option as well. I like the bench too. I mean, Darren Ruff was dealing with a neck issue and dealing with a bunch of different issues last year physically, but they traded for him for a reason. He crushes lefties. And when he was healthy with the giants, he crushed lefties to a really ridiculous clip. Louis Guillaume is one of the best uh, utility guys defensively in baseball. He puts bat on ball. He grinds out at bats. Tommy Pham, the addition to the outfield as kind of that fourth outfielder, which is always nice to have with the injuries that Marte has had over the years with the injury concerns around Marcana, though he was healthy last year. Uh, th- this is a solid bench. And you mentioned the prospects. This this is a deep, deep lineup with a solid number of guys that can come in and make an impact. Mets are going to be one of the best in baseball offensively, I think, without a doubt. Not only are they going to hit, but they're going to play defense too. Brandon Nimmo's a great defensive center fielder. Sterling Marte is fantastic in a corner. Lindor is the best defensive shortstop for my money. Pete Alonso's improved on defense. Jeff McNeil's as good as it gets at second base. Canna's solid. And then you look at Omar Nervaez at the catching position. Like That's why I love this unit so much is they're going to be top five in OPS, and they might be top five in defensive runs saved. So as a unit, it might be the best overall offense when you look at offense and defense in Major League Baseball. It's going to be up there. Might be one, two, or three, but I'd be surprised if it's outside of the top five when you look at the OPS WRC plus numbers at the end of the year and you look at the defensive runs saved and the outs above average. 100%. And what's crazy is the rotation might be right there too. Uh, you got Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, a tandem of Hall of Famers. And 
by the way, Verlander has looked as good as ever this spring. It's been fun to watch. Uh, those two guys are going to lead the way. Kodai Sanga is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. He has looked great this spring, was up to 99 the last start I watched. His finger's been jacked up a little bit, so he didn't even throw a splitter last start just to like give his finger a little bit of a rest. Carved guys with a slider and the fastball, and the splitter's his best pitch. That's fucked up. And then you got Cookie Carrasco, who's a solid four, and David Peterson now slotted to round out the rotation, which is interesting because Jose Quintana is going to be out for a while with a rib injury. And I believe it was like the way it's phrased on Fangraphs roster research was like a bone graft surgery. It's going to be a while. He'll be out for at least half the season. Peterson, though, for me, kind of plugs in and gives you what I was kind of expecting from Quintana. I think Peterson is really upped the stuff a little bit. He's ticked up in terms of the velocity and the quality of his breaking stuff. I think that's a really solid five. Cookie Carrasco is a solid four. And that three-headed monster at the top, man, could be a freaking problem. Uh, This rotation, I think, is going to be one of the better in baseball. I was talking to our guy, Ryan Fickelstein, a host of Locked on Mets and our managing editor here at Just Baseball. And I was texting with him and I said, I think David Peterson might be even better than Jose Quintana. I was a big believer in David Peterson. And the reason I became a big believer is because saw him a couple years ago, didn't love it, thought he was more of a six starter, maybe a swingman type. Then he enters the rotation with the Mets um, at the tail end of last year. And I started to fade him and I lost money because he is good. And his stuff looked a lot better. He looks to be making that jump. How about another Tyler McGill as a six guy? Let's say, you know, Scherzer and Verlander, they are old. Let's say they go down with a hammy or, you know, they're walking to the nursery home and they fall over. You yeah. know, all those things can happen. Of course, I'm joking because they're all world. But slotting in a guy like Tyler McGill, who was up to 100 miles an hour last year, this rotation is fantastic. And even if Kodai Senga struggles, they have so many ways to hedge. But at the same time, I don't expect him to struggle. So we're just thinking about the worst case scenarios and what could happen. They've hedged it like they've done such a good job. But that's what happens when you spend trillions of dollars yes. on your team. And but they did. And this is why they're so good. The rotation. I think the offense is just better when you look at um, defense and offense. But. What are they top seven? I mean, because you're it's, losing Jose Quintana, I guess. But I mean, this is as good as it gets. The Mets are as good as it gets. And and to your point, McGill as as your your six, um, you know, Eliezer Hernandez as like your seven or eight who can plug in and not be the worst of all time, hopefully. Um, and then Jose Budo, who I actually do like more than Hernandez uh, as as another option who pitched really well in AAA and looked. Really solid so far this spring training. So this is a solid overall rotation, uh, a lead at the top and and enough depth as well. Bullpen looks a lot different without the best reliever in baseball in Edwin Diaz. And the injury is just brutal. Uh, I know the timeline kind of puts him out for the season. I still have a weird gut feeling that he comes back for the very end of the year in the postseason. But they're going to have to get there, right? And I think they're going to get there with the rotation in the lineup. But this bullpen, it could still get by, right? It's not going to be a liability. But David Robertson might be closing out games. Adam Adovino might be closing out games. Brooks Raley might be closing out games. Even Drew Smith might be closing out games. It seems like this is going to be kind of a closer by committee situation here. Uh, But adding Robertson, adding Raley, they also added Dennis Santana on waivers. Good thing that they added a couple of guys to this bullpen because if they didn't have Robertson and Raley, the loss of Edwin Diaz would be even more catastrophic because 
Robertson and Railway are probably candidates to, to lead the league and or lead the team, excuse me, in saves other than Ottavino. Yeah, this is the one unit on the Mets that I'm starting to worry about a little bit. And I liked the bullpen with Edwin Diaz. Didn't love it. And remember, when I say like, I mean comparing it to other World Series contenders. Again, holding the Mets to a different standard and maybe even a higher standard than some other teams because they won 100 games last year. Losing Edwin Diaz is really rough. And I understand Mets fans who, you know, freaked out about the World Baseball Classic saying, you know, shouldn't be played. I completely disagree, but I can understand the frustration when it's maybe your best player. And Edwin Diaz was the number one reliever in baseball last year. And it wasn't just him on the mound. It was the trumpets. It was the atmosphere. It was what he created for the Mets that when you're ahead by one run, Going into the ninth, the game is over. And that is so important to have. We saw that in the Yankees run. When you have a guy like Mariano Rivera, when you know the game is over, there's a reason that they won five straight championships or not, excuse me, five straight championships, but they won a ton. And Mariano was a big point. That's the level that Edwin Diaz has been in with these all-time closers. That's the level. And now you don't have him anymore. And you look at a guy like Adam Ottavino, who was great last year, but has been kind of inconsistent his whole career. David Robertson throwing 90 miles an hour. How long is that going to last? I assume he's going to be good, but not great, right? Not great, which is what you need. Brooks Raley, I think, is solid, but again, not great. Drew Smith, solid, not great. Like this bullpen last year, they finished 10th in ERA with Edwin Diaz having an all-time season. I think they're going to be in the teens. I do. But you have such a great starting staff and you have such a great lineup. They're going to be close to 100 games again. But if you had to split hairs, this bullpen is something that I'm not very excited for. And I think they might go out and make that move. No reason to force it. No reason to force it now when teams know that, you know, you're a little bit desperate. You don't have to be desperate. You'll, you can still win games early in the season and, and make that move when the opportunity comes up and the reliever market's a bit more flooded of crappy teams looking to flip their their relievers for you know any prospect return. We wrap it up with the Atlanta Braves, who also were 101 and 61 last year. And man, this is going to be a showdown again between the Braves and the Mets and also the Phillies because the Braves are damn good and they got better this offseason. They go trade for Sean Murphy, uh, which is going to help without a doubt. They're going to get a full season of Michael Harris. They also will get a healthy season, hopefully, from Ronald Acuna Jr., this lineup is a force, a healthy season from Ozzy Albies as well should help. But the big headlines from Braves camp, from the just everything going on in Atlanta, is the fact that Von Grissom gets optioned down to the minor leagues, as well as Braden Schumick and Orlando Arcia is going to take on the shortstop duties to start the season. No one quite knows why Grissom was, was sent down because Ron Washington has said glowing things about the defense. There were some reports about a hernia issue, whatever it may be. Clearly, the Braves are not 100% sold on what Von Grissom can do from day one, wanting to work on some things in AAA. I hate Orlando Arcia playing shortstop for them. I think it's a pretty wild platoon there of Adrianza, I mean, the fact that Adrianza is is on this team, I mean, Jack's probably pumped, but this shortstop situation is is the big gap, but it, it's hard to be worried about a team that was as good as they were last year and added Sean Murphy. 
I think this is the class of the National League. I think the Astros are the class of the American League and the Braves are the class of the National League. Um, I somewhat disagree with you about Orlando Arcia um, because he did put up, what was it, a 732 OPS with good defense last year. I think he's one of those guys where the Braves look at their team and say, we're going to hit so much. We need someone great defensively there. They saw what Dansby Swanson delivered and how important it was for that team. And I still think that he can do that. I agree with you in the sense that, like, I wish Vaughn Gerson was there. I wish Shoemake was there. Do, I wish do, we, gave them- do we know if he's going to be great defensively at shortstop, though? He hasn't played Don't. shortstop since 2020. And, yeah. and in 2020, he was negative four DRS. In 2019, I, he was negative two DRS. Like, I'm shocked at how they're approaching this at the shortstop position. I think it's going to be a gaping I, hole. And maybe it's my fault for trusting the Braves, right? Because I say, I think to myself, what do they probably want? They probably want the safest defensive profile, and they probably saw that in Arcia. Maybe he's been also working in the offseason to get much better. And we still saw him at second base just be a crazy, crazy good defensive second baseman in, in uh, replacement of Ozzy Albies. That's just my thinking. Again, I could be wrong. Like he could just prove to be average. And then it's like, well, what the hell are you doing? And if you look at past history, that's what we'll probably see. In if I'm looking at a Braves team that has done so well with the development of these young players and they decided to option Von Grissom, they must love RCS defense at shortstop. That's just how I'm trying to contextualize it, whether it be right or wrong, because admittedly, I just trust the Braves in whatever they do. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's something there. There's a reason why they're they're, they're doing this. They obviously know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, they're not asleep at the wheel, right? They have no. to know something that maybe we don't. Or they For, could just bite them in the ass. Like, it, we you don't know, know. They're, they're not impervious to mistakes, but obviously this was an educated decision, to your point, that they made because they thought this gave them the best foot forward to start the season. It, it could have been something as simple as Grissom being banged up, and maybe we see him up early in the year. The reality okay. is if Grissom's ready, he'll prove it in AAA. He'll come up and be an upgrade if Arcia is struggling. So they've got options and that's the good news. And even Shoemake, I think could, could be a, a replacement level player at shortstop as well. So they have other options. Apparently they love Adrianza, which is really funny. And that was part of the reason why he was a non-roster invitee. They want him uh, on the active roster, which also factored into the decision because I don't think he has any options and you do have options with Von Grissom. So very interesting situation there. Um, my only other concern, because I, I love this Braves team. I mean, I think Acuna is going to go nuts. I think he's an MVP candidate. Matt Olson, slightly disappointing for his standards last year. I think he's going to really take a step forward. I think Austin Riley is is an MVP candidate as well. Like they have multiple MVP candidates and they add Sean Murphy and I'm Michael Harris, one of my favorite center fielders. My one hole all poke, and I guess it's it's kind of a tandem, is the left field DH situation. I, I I don't like Marcelo Zuna on or off the field. And I, I, Eddie Rosario, like maybe he'll bounce back this year. He was dealing with eye issues and other things, whatever it may be. Having Travis Darno, who is really the one, like other than Danny Jansen, the only other backup catcher that I would comfortably plug in the DH role and say, hey, that guy can swing it. That helps. But I, I do feel like they're giving up a little bit on the DH left field role. But that said, corner outfield guy that can swing it. It's pretty easy to find come June and July. And we did see Eddie Rosario, you know, play well in the world baseball classic and he's been better in seasons past. So maybe last year was just a down year and then he comes back and is an average left fielder. And I think that's all they need for him. 
while I say the Braves are the class of the National League is because from the best hitter to the worst pitcher on the team, I think they have a better team than the New York Mets. But if you look at just straight offense, the Mets have a better unit here Top because there's there's no weaknesses in the Mets. While well, you can point to shortstop being a weakness, you can point to left field being a weakness, you can point to DH being a weakness. But the top six, a healthy Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr., they won 101 games really without those guys. I mean, they won with Acuna on one leg. Yeah. Matt Olson had a down year, again, to your point, by his standards, he could win an MVP. Austin Riley could win an MVP. Sean Murphy is a top five catcher in the game for my money. And Michael Harris is a top three, four, five center fielder. And Albies, I still think, is is kind of underrated by, you know, analytics people because they see a lower WRC plus. But he's an extra base hit machine. He's great at second base and he's a base stealing threat. I th- still think he's one of those anomalies in Major League Baseball who's much better than the analytics will tell you. Um, So from one to six, it's as good as anyone saying, in baseball. Might be the best. I was that was literally going to be my question, Peter. One to six, you put that up with just about anybody. I think it's better than the Mets. Um, you could argue the Astros, but I, I think I'm taking the Braves one through six over anybody in Major League Baseball. I, I'm with you. I think it's absolutely spectacular there, and and it, they'll they'll make a move at some point to to maybe answer one of those other spots. Rotation, rotation is going to be a problem. So and, and and I mean a problem for everybody else, not the Atlanta yeah. Braves. Max Freed at the top, Spencer Strider at two, Kyle Wright at three, Charlie Morton at four. And then these assholes, dude, these assholes have two lefties, two left-handed pitching prospects who are like dueling it out to potentially take that fifth spot. You've got Jared Schuster. You've got Dylan Dodd. Both have been just lights out, lights out. And I think Schuster is going to end up getting the nod here in the five spot. Talk about some of the best five starters in baseball. I love what I've seen from a former first rounder in Schuster. He is really deceptive. Change up is nasty. Improve the breaking ball. Fastball is ticked up. That could be the best five in baseball. This rotation is nasty. And remember, if Schuster and Dodd are duking it out, that means one of them is your alternate sixth arm. And then they've also got Elder. They've also got whatever you can get from Ian Anderson. This is one of the deepest rotations in baseball, especially because you hope that Soroka could be healthy. You'll see, you know, when I don't think they'll get a Noah back anytime this year, but anything you get from Soroka is house money. This is a really, really, really deep rotation. It's as good as it gets. Last year, this Braves rotation finished fourth in ERA and they could finish first or second. You got the man, Spencer Strider, who in 131 innings struck out 202 batters, one of the more dominant rookie seasons from a starting pitcher that we have seen in a very long time. And you have Max Fried, who was excellent last year for the Atlanta Braves. Didn't strike out as many guys as you might think, but still put up a 2.48 ERA. Kyle Wright figured out that breaking ball and looks to be reaching the potential that we all forecasted when he was a, the fifth overall pick out of Vanderbilt. Really liked him coming out of college, and he's still 27. It's not like he's some old guy who just figured it out. 27 years old. Love him as a three starter. And then you got Morton, who it's funny to joke about, but also kind of pitched last year on a bum leg. Yeah. Where he broke his leg and still put up a four, three, four with over 200 strikeouts and 172 innings. He's continues. Like if you like Verlander and Scherzer at the top of the rotation and you're not worried about the age, I wouldn't be worried about the age of Charlie Morton. He's not that level, 
but he's still, if you're going to put him in the four starter, he's a guy who I'm more confident in than maybe even a Taiwan Walker next year, right? Like, that's where I look. And it's like, if you're comparing the best teams, game four of the NLCS between the Phillies and the Braves, and the Braves got more than the Phillies got Walker, I'm going with the Braves. Like, I think they win that game. And then the reason they were able to, D- or not DFA, just send uh, Ian Anderson down to the minor leagues is because of Jared Schuster. It's because of Dowd. Like, these guys look so great. And then you have Soroka. And if he can give you anything, it's amazing. So from top to bottom is as good as it gets. It's as deep as it can get. It's as electric as it can get from a stuff profile. Ton of these guys throw a ton of innings. Doesn't get much better. Uh, the fact that they're going to be able to plug in Dodd and Elder and Anderson whenever. If, if any of and these even guys a guy like Colby down. Allard. Yeah. Like, he's the ninth starter. Like, if anyone goes down, they're they're in good shape in, in that regard. Uh the bullpen is that they seem to figure out class. how to piece together a fantastic bullpen. Unfortunately, Rizel Iglesias dealing with some shoulder inflammation. Hope he's okay because that is a guy that, man, what a pickup that was for them. It seems like the, the Angels almost gave him away to a degree. It was it was surprising to just just see them cut loose so quick when they just paid him. It was very weird. Uh, and that was a great pickup by the Braves. You got AJ Minter, who is just fantastic. But they also add Joe Jimenez there, who it was a very underrated reliever with the Tigers because he was a reliever with the Tigers. They also get Lucas Letke. But I mean, this is just kind of running it back with the guys that have been great for them. Of course, it sucks that Tyler Matic's out for the year. But when you've got Minter, Jimenez, McHugh, Lee, Yates, Letke, and then they bring out back Chessy Chavez, who I feel like they just have him to start the year, then they get rid of him, whatever. But that's like your your ninth reliever. Like this bullpen is deep, it's good, and it's proven. It's amazing. And even without Rasiel Glacis, I still love it. Um, every single pitcher in this bullpen last season had an ERA under 3-5, except for Kirby Yates, who threw seven innings and was coming off an injury. Like Kirby Yates, if we remember, was an all-star level closer. He was and expensive. He's, and he's like the sixth best relief pitcher here. Minter is as good as it gets. 206 ERA, tons of strikeouts, is just a dog. Joe Jimenez, 3-4-9 last year. Really good reliever uh, for the Tigers. Colin McHugh can spin it with anybody. Dylan Lee was excellent for them last year. Licky is not a guy who you want in high leverage, but in low leverage, Licky was one of the Yankees' best relievers. And Jesse Chavez just continues to get outs. So I have no idea how, but he's doing it, so I'm not going to debate on why or how he's doing it. This bullpen, even without Iglesias, is elite. Yeah. And then Iglesias who allowed one earned run when he came over to the Braves in the regular season is as good as a closer as you're going to find. This is world-class. This is as good as it gets. I don't even remember where we ranked him in our top 10 bullpens, but I think it was what, two, yeah, three, something that's not good. Three. I mean, that's why I'm saying from top to bottom, there's more weaknesses with the Mets yeah. than the Braves. And the Braves also won 101 games with more weaknesses last year. They had to deal with more injuries and yet still won 101 games. That's where they're my pick to win this division. If they get anything close to 2019 Kirby Yates, because Yates has pitched 11 innings over the last like three years, which is really unfortunate. Um, and it's probably a big if, but I just want to give some some just a tip of the cap, give the flowers to Kirby Yates and what he did in 2019. One of the best reliever seasons I think we've seen in the 21st century. 60 and two thirds innings, a 119 ERA, 41 saves for the Padres, 101 Ks, 13 walks. Shit, man, if he's half of that, 
Where's about 60, 80 percent? If he's half of that, this Braves bullpen is it could be the best in baseball. And don't forget, and if they've he also sucks, got, they don't. Re- if they sucks, they don't. If he sucks, they don't really need him. No, That's exactly. And they also have. Don't they have Nick Anderson waiting down there too? If yes, Nick sir. Anderson is healthy, that is another guy that could come in and be an option for them. And they signed him in free agency this year too. He has struggled to stay healthy, but man, that's a guy that can close ball games out when he is right. If you're going to have some injured guys, have a bunch of them and see what you get from some of them. That's what the Dodgers always do. That's what the Rays often do. And that's what we see the Braves doing here. This team is very good. And man, the National League East is going to be must-see TV. If you couldn't tell from this preview already. Uh, and man, I'm excited to talk about them all season long. But that's it. We went through the whole National League East. That was fun. And man, it's going to be a blast to watch these teams this year. Going to be a blast. Make sure to get your Just Baseball merch. That's the best way to support this podcast. Arms rocking the dad hat. I'm rocking the rope hat. Either one available on our merch store, as well as the Just Baseball long sleeve that I'm rocking too. Hoodies, t-shirts, get your Just Baseball merch. But if you don't want to spend a dime, greatly appreciate you subscribing on YouTube, hitting the like button, commenting what you think about the National League East. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to rate us five stars on those platforms and leave a written review. Let us know what you want to see in the MLB regular season. We're always looking at those and we've had a lot of great suggestions that have actually, you know, we've put on the Google calendar and said, this is what we should talk about because people in the written reviews are letting us know, especially on Apple podcasts. Uh, If you want to check out the rest of the podcasts on the just baseball network, I'll save you the time of describing every one of them. (laughs) Just check them out in the link tree linked below in the episode description. NL Central up next, then the NL West. Then we get into our big betting preview predictions preview here on the Just Baseball Show. And we missed today on Wednesday due to traveling back from Miami for the World Baseball Classic. So we will have a bonus episode on Saturday where we will do the NL West. We are doing NL Central tomorrow. And with that, thank you, everybody. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.